Good evening, beautiful people. Welcome back to another installment of the Knowing Place podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Smith. And as you may know by now, on this podcast, I love to celebrate courage and triumph and winners and those who persevere when it would be very easy to quit. And with that being said, on tonight's episode 15, I'm going to interview Mr. Corey Stewart. He's going to share with us an incredible testimony about his experience with COVID and how he faced death, literally, and lived to tell about it. He's very transparent. He's going to just join us tonight and just really share with us very candidly about what it was like for him and what he learned from it, how it's changed him. So if you don't mind, Join us back here in a second. We'll talk to Corey, and you will be inspired by his story. Thanks again for joining me. Be right back. Welcome back, everybody. As promised, I have a special guest with us today, Mr. Corey Stewart. and He has a, a wonderful story of triumph and survival. And I don't want to give away too much. I want to just let him talk to you and want to listen to him tell his uh, his testimony and his account of his experience. So good evening, Corey. How you doing? Good evening. How you doing today? Doing all right, man. First, I want to thank you so much for joining me, um, taking time out your day to just share your story with us. As you know, um, here on the Knowing Place podcast, we like to give uplifting stories and encouraging stories to those who listen. So our goal is just to encourage anyone who may be going through some things or may not see a brighter day or just may just need some encouragement in any way man so i just want to set the tone that way and let you know to feel free to share what you like but i guess just we'll get right into it man um well let's say this first well, tell us about yourself uh you got family what's what's oh yeah well first of all also let me let me thank you for having me as well um i definitely appreciate the opportunity to come on here and, and definitely share my testimony on your platform you know that anytime i can you know, share my story and my testimony with, you know, other people to, you know, for other people to hear uh, from my experience. It definitely is a blessing. So I definitely want to say thank you and appreciate uh, appreciate the opportunity. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a family man. I have a, a son uh, recently um, was uh, engaged as well okay. uh, a few months back. And so that's really my, my life. You know, I work uh, for a, a big company right now. Um, so I'm just, I'm really blessed all the way around considering, um, how my year start or the end of last year and how this year started to be where I am right now and feeling the way that I do. It definitely is a, it's a big blessing. I'm definitely thankful to be in the position that I am. No doubt. No doubt. Now you're a native of Alabama. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Born and raised in, in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Muscle Shoals. Uh, spent some time away in, in a couple other different cities um, in my early my early twenties. But you know, home is home. Okay, and that's that's the home of Muscle Shoals sound, right? Where all the music. Yep. Out. Yep. Yes, you got that right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay, so let's get right into it, Corey. So, um, take us back, man, to the day that you just knew something wasn't right, or maybe it started out not so unusual for you. How did that day start when you first, you know, became aware that you may have been dealing with something that could be threatening for you? 
Um, so kind of going back to it, um, it really, the whole experience itself is still even thinking about it. And, you know, Lord knows, I, I think about different things that have happened, you know, leading up to it. But really, the whole event started, the whole episode started um, about probably a week and a half before. Um, like most people, you know, had been dealing with at the time where, you know, they were saying it was okay to be around, you know, small gatherings. Right. And I was just hanging out with, with, you know, with my, with my close family. Right. Um, and this is actually was, and matter of fact, we are actually just into like the one year anniversary this past Saturday of when this whole thing started. But, oh wow. um, you know, just was with hanging out with my family, uh, during the Iron Bowl and everything. And then just a few days after that, you know, um, we had somebody, you know, that came back and told us, you know, hey, someone that was, you know, was with us um, found out they had tested positive for COVID. So, of course, you know, us taking the precautions and everything, they were sending everybody, you know, quarantine, um, contact your employers, you know, of how, you know, doing what you need to for everybody else. So at that point in time, the company I was working for then, uh, where they had, we had to deploy majority of our workforce home. But for me, um, I just happened to decide I was gonna, I was gonna just keep going to work to the building. I was driving an hour to Huntsville back and forth every day, you know, five, six days a week. Right. And um, so, it, you know, there was nobody really in the building. So I didn't really have too much to worry about, you know, then. And, um, it kind of just progressed uh, from there. So I, you know, called my supervisor up, let him know what was going on, quarantine or whatever. So I was out, you know, for that 10 days and everything. And it just started off as, as, a, as a cough is what it started out as. And, you know, of course me being me, you know, 10 days had elapsed from the time our, we had been exposed and everything. So, you know, as I said before, you know, 10 days had, had elapsed from the time that I had been exposed to the virus. So, you know, this was probably the Monday after. Um, and, you know, it was just like a, just a normal call. Nothing seemed off about it um, or anything. And then Tuesday came and that's when the headache happened. So I started having this real dull headache. Well, you know, I've been dealing with migraines, you know, since my early 20s. So for me to have a headache or a migraine, you know, that was nothing new to me. So, of course, that and this call, I still didn't think anything about it. But right. Wednesday was a different story. By Wednesday, you know, I'm real sluggish. I have no energy. I got this cough. I got this dull headache. They won't go away and everything. And so by that evening, Wednesday evening, I was like, okay, you know, I really don't feel good. So let me just go ahead and I'm going to go to, you know, urgent care. So I go to urgent care right around the corner from the house. Uh, the very next uh, morning, I get up and go. So I go in and, you know, everything, tell her my symptoms. And she, you know, told her, you know, I did have an exposure, you know, about two weeks ago. Right. And, you know, of course, she, you know, told me at this point, you know, the virus can sit after you've had an exposure, you know, the virus can sit in your system for almost 10 days before you have any symptoms at all. Right. Um, and, you know, at this point in time, 
you know, it was probably right around 10 days when I, you know, had started, you know, showing some symptoms. So this is December, this is December 10th of uh, 2020. So uh, she says, well, I'm gonna go ahead and we're gonna go ahead and test you for COVID and we're gonna go ahead and test you for the flu strip. And I'm also gonna do a chest x-ray since you said you had some chest pain. So we do all of that um, and everything. And the very first thing that she was able to get back that day was a chest x-ray. And she told me then, you know, um, it does look like you do have a small spot of pneumonia sitting in. So what I'm going to do is go ahead and get you some antibiotics. I'm going to get you antibiotic um, and everything going to call it into the pharmacy. You know, take the meds and everything, rest, relax, and continue to quarantine. And then when your test results come back from the state, you know, we'll, you know, we'll see um you know how everything turns out then so i'll go get my meds go home and everything and i'll never forget uh i'll never forget this day you know this feels like you know it was yesterday december 12 2020 that morning i remember waking up and 10 o'clock on the dot my mm. phone rings and it's urgent care so she calls she's like this is Corey, and I, you know of course and um you know, she says your your results come back, uh, and you are positive for COVID. So continue to quarantine for another ten days. Uh, I'm going to call you in some more medications that you need to take. Uh, that's hopefully going to help to um, ease up and you know to fight with the pneumonia. Um, and of course, she said if you do get any worse, you know, or anything, you know, go to the emergency room. So I was just like, okay. So of course I'm still feeling bad. Um, still got the cough, dull headache, um, and everything. And within a matter of hours, you know, I just went downhill from there. So that was ten o'clock that morning on a Saturday morning. By seven thirty that that evening, um, you know, my fiance was like, you know, um, I just felt like I couldn't I couldn't breathe. You know, I felt like I had like this this huge weight on my chest, like I just could not catch my breath. So she had to call. She called my mom, and they called the ambulance to come get me. And the surreal moment about that was, you know, we've all seen you know people in accidents, or you know, we you've been around when you've seen EMS, you know, come up. And you know they're in uniform and whatnot, but it's kind of it's it's a it's a different kind of feel when you see three people walk in and they are in full body gear, and it almost is like hazmat suits. Right. And that's when I was like, this is like, this is a big deal, and right. not that I had hadn't been taking it seriously. You know, we were in the house, we weren't going anywhere. If we did have to run to the store, you know, we were masking up, we were social distancing. If we had to be around people, you know, if need be, we were taking all the precautions. But at this moment in time, you know, here I am with with this right here in front of me. Right. And I remember um, them coming in and my anxiety, I've always had anxiety for as long as I can remember. Right. And um, I remember them coming in and my anxiety spiking from this. And I just, I could not catch my breath. 
I remember them, you know, giving me oxygen. And because of how narrow, at, you know, the house we used to live in, they couldn't bring the 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 bed and stretcher in. Right. So I had to walk through the house to get to the front door. And this night, it was bitterly cold. It was raining. This is one of those nights that you probably, to me, when I think back on it, it's mm-hmm. like one of those scary movies when something <laughs> dramatic has happened. That's what it reminded right. me of. And, um, and I remember, like, just at that point in time, how hard it was for me just to get the energy just to stand up. And I knew, like, this just, this is just, this just doesn't feel right. Right. And so they they finally got me to the door. They got me loaded up, and they took me to the North Alabama Medical Center, and um, they got me to the ER. The nurses come in, got me on oxygen. They kept you know checking in on me and everything. Um, I, I sat in the emergency room for probably two hours. Um, they finally got a, a a room ready for me, and I remember the nurses coming, um and taking me up to my room and helping me, you know, get comfortable and everything, taking my hoodie and stuff off, um, got some juice, um, and I laid down. Um, they cut on um, ESPN, and that's the last thing I remember. Man. And the next, the, the next memory I have was me waking up um, in Nashville on January. This was and this was January, I'm sure this was December the 12th, 2020. Right. And then my next memory, I'm waking up in Nashville, was January 8th of 2021. Wow. And, you know, when I, when I you know, woke up, and this was the first time that I was, I felt like I was, I was mentally, I was present where I knew, um, like, you know, something's, di- I'm different. Right. Put it like that. I know I'm different now. And, um, you know, it took me literally, I remember it, it took me three days uh, for me to realize, or I should say, to find out where I was. Right. Um, and I just remember waking up one morning and I remember the TV being on. Um, it was a big, nice TV. And I remember, I'll never forget the guy's voice was like, here's your seven-day forecast for Nashville, Tennessee. And my brain, like, what am I doing in Nashville? Wow. And, you know, of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still just, I'm still trying to process what is really going on. Um, and I remember after that, I remember um, after I had woken up that I couldn't move. I remember how heavy my arms were. I'm just like, I really can't move my arms. Like, I can lift them off the bed, but that's that's about it. And I'm so, just like, and I try to say, like, uh-huh. what what was causing that? What, what was keeping me from lifting those arms? Just lack of energy. So what actually wound up happening was, oh, so I kind of missed us skipped over a good bit of uh, a kind of backtrack. On it. So what wound up happening was, in between time, um, on after I went to sleep, the next couple of days just kind of was a was a blur. The next day and a half was kind of a blur because of the medications that I was on, 
<coughs> excuse me, and mm-hmm. because of the 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 way the virus was attacking my system, so what wound up happening was they wound up having to put me on a ventilator. So they wound up having to vent me and put a, a tube down my throat into my lungs um, to give my body a rest and let this machine breathe for me. Right. So that happened. So in order for them to do that, they typically they will put you into and they would give you a a a heavy sedative that keeps you sleeping so that you don't wake up with this tube in your in in your throat. So they put me into a medically induced coma to put me on this vent to help me to breathe. Um, And so that way that my body could rest and recover and from working and let the machine do the work for me. Right. So that happened. um, And my condition just just got to a point to where they were like, he's going to need serious attention. So um, what wound up happening was, um, and this is one of those, I think, like one of the those moments where God, you know, you we all have probably have had that moment in time where um, you think back to a certain event, whether it be good or bad, and you right. realize it's by the grace of God that I was that I was where I was at. Otherwise, I wouldn't have received this blessing or I would have missed out on something if I hadn't have been here. Right. Luckily, um, you know, my mother's been a nurse for uh, probably 30 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's been, well, yeah, like the better part of almost 30 years um, of my life. And one of the things that really um, stuck out to me was a doctor that she had worked with at um, an ER um, in the show's area several, several years ago just happened to be working in Florence at the hospital because of everything going on. Right. And um, at some point, they made contact. And so he was able to make a few phone calls and was able to find me um, a bed at Vanderbilt uh, Medical Center in Nashville. No coincidence. No coincidence. And so it kind of went from there. So my mother, um, you know, one of the things that happened is after I woke up, um, it was probably another, it was probably another two weeks or a week and a half, two weeks, probably about another two weeks actually before I actually had any physical contact with anybody that was not, you know, a nurse was one of my nurses or my doctors. Um, and you know, it took a while to to process everything, but you know, eventually when she told me what happened was they made contact. He made a few phone calls, was able to find me, you know, a bed, but it wasn't just the bed that they were concerned about. It was the machine that I needed, which is most people have probably have heard of it now. It's called an ECMO machine. Right. And basically it's a form of life support, but this has become a piece of equipment that really is changing a lot of lives, especially during this pandemic. But one of the things about it is that these machines um, are not massively available. So, right. for, so for a person to have this, 
you know, it, it can change lives. But on the backside of that, um, when you go on this machine, it's one of those machines like life support, it's in the life. You know, right. people go on them often, but it's incredibly hard for people to come off of them. Right. Um, I remember one point in time, you know, one of my, my kids, and she's also a nurse, and she, you know, she works in a, in a major hospital system. And I remember, you know, her telling me, you know, we were, you know, seeing that, um, you know, she says, you know, we have people, uh, patients on them, you know, and a lot of people don't come off of it. And I even remember doctors telling me this was, you know, down the road in my recovery, telling me, you know, I went through your chart and read of every single thing. And, you know, I've been, you know, I've been a doctor for, you know, you know, 40, 50 years. And in my time, I've, I haven't had a single patient to come off of an ECMO machine. Usually when, when you go on ECMO, we already pretty much know that at some point in time, you know, they're, they're not going to make it because, you know, of how this virus can attack, you know, your body. Right. You know, we just, you know, it's a, it's a literally a miracle for us to have a patient that come off of, off of the machine, you know, how you did and so it was just, it was surreal the way that it all happened. And my mother said, you know, that day, that, that night they called and said they, they, they got you a bed. I remember the nurse calling me and was saying, we got a bed. Uh, they're going to fly to get in, but they're going to be here. You know, those things, you know, they, they fly fast. Right. They're going to be here in 30 minutes. You have 30 minutes to get here to, if you want to see them before they take him. Right. And that was the last time I seen my mother up until about a month, almost a month and a half later in late January. Um, and they flew me to Vandy. And that's where my, you know, the fight of my life, uh, you know, happened. And, you know, at that particular point, like, I got to Vandy. Um, and like I said, when I woke up um, on January 8th, you know, all that time had passed. I had, um, you know, I missed Christmas, I missed New Year's. I miss all of these, you know, these big things that, you know, we celebrate. And I wake up one day and I, I don't even know where I am. So that's, about a three, so, that's about a three-week window, right, Corey? Yeah, about four weeks in, in four total, weeks. yeah, that I was I was in a coma um, with this before I finally came out of about four weeks had passed. So tell me this, um, what's it like, man, having that, having that window of time where you don't even remember anything about your life, man? Really, truly, and honestly, and I don't even think I've ever told, I've only told a handful of people this, I really felt like in my time that I was under, I dreamed the entire time. Wow. Um, Most of it was, it was, I would probably say that most of it um, was, I feel like, um, how can I put it? I felt like God was talking to me mm. and he wasn't like, not in a sense of hearing a voice, right. but I was going through different scenarios um, and situations that I had that physically I had never been in, you know, in my life, but situations that were teaching me things while I was in this. I remember, and I know this, this these things sound weird, but um, I feel like it's important that 
people understand my testimony because it's a part of what happened. Right. Um, I really do feel like that um, I had experienced um, I had experienced good things because of the great things that I've been able to do in my life, but I also experienced what I would say is awakening from some of the choices that I've made in my life. And people will know I'm not like, I'm not some felon, I'm not some thug or anything like that. But like with anybody else, I've made mistakes. I've hurt people in my life, not maliciously, but I've hurt people in my life. And I felt like that at that point in time, me being in that coma, I spent four weeks dreaming and having numerous dreams. I, I still can't remember them. Like I'm like I I had them last night. And that's how detailed and vivid they were. But then I don't but physically, I don't know. I didn't like to me, when I think back to it and my folks having to tell me of how life was, mm-hmm. I didn't have a life between December thirteenth. 2020 and January 8th of 2021 I don't there's there's nothing there that's a complete void physically for me right because you guys celebrated Christmas New Year's and all these different things happen and I don't you know I think back to like you know as my son gets older when he's old enough to comprehend and you think about these events and this pandemic will eventually be in these kids' textbooks. And he'll be like, hey, you remember when you got sick? You know, right. when I was a baby, what do you remember? I don't right. remember anything, son. And that's that's weird to tell somebody that. But right. then it's like, literally, I, I remember going into the hospital, getting a sip of juice, and then waking up four weeks later and not knowing, you know, with a tube in my throat. And it was just, it was surreal. And, you know, I woke up, I couldn't talk. And that, that kind of scared me a right. lot because I remember going to talk and ask the, the nurse something and opened up my mouth and nothing moved. Wow. And I was like, okay, this is weird. Like, and I was thinking, okay, I've got, I don't have anything in my mouth, but there's no, there's no noise. No sound, nothing's coming out. But I just remember, I remember how scared I was the first time that I could get enough strength to pick up my arm. And I remember feeling on this tube, wondering, where is this? My neck is cold. And I remember, you know, taking this tube and rubbing my hand and rubbing it all the way up, trying to find out where was this going. Right. And realizing that this thing that's on this wall um it's in my throat and i've got this collar on you know and i remember you know the nurses coming in and having to change out the dressing on it and having to change out this tube and and they would take this suction device and i know this is it's disgusting but it's like just how vivid this was mm-hmm. in real life you know of them having to clean this and put this tube in here and keep that on me because this thing is helping me to breathe. Right. And, you know, like, uh, I remember when I woke up, you know, um, the part that kind of like really shook me 
was when you have a doctor coming in, um, when you have a, well, not a, you know, the doctors and the nurses, but specifically like the nurses would come into the room and uh, they were checking on me and they were talking to me, mm-hmm. but it was surreal having them come and, and stand by my bed and they would talk to me and they would have these helmets on and they were like space helmets to me. And and I and you know, like I don't remember anything that's happened. So I just one day just woke up and here this is life. Right. And I'm thinking, why are these these people in in here next to me in this room? Why are they have these helmets on? And they would come and they would just talk to me. And you know, it was just like my brain was just like was telling me, you know, just answer their questions, like, you know, um, are you hurting? You know, I remember the, one of the nurses asking me, are you hurting? And I just shook my head, no, I wasn't hurting. But in my mind, I'm, I just, I'm still um, not really there, but I'm, but I'm still trying to piece everything together. Right. And it's like when you're helpless and you can't move, but then you know like these people are are saving your life, but you don't really, I don't really understand this shit. And um, I just, you know, and it was, it wasn't until down the line that I realized that it was the medication wearing off. Like you physically, you were here and you were understanding different commands. You understand people talking to you and everything, but it's the, it's the medication that you've been on for four weeks that's paralyzed your body. You know, your body's still coming off of it. And it takes a while for it to fully come out of your system. So, you know, I realized that. And um, I remember the doc- the nurses would come in and they would always check on me. And the, do- the doctors would come in and always talk to me. And I always remember um, every time the nurse would come in or the doctor would come in and talk to me, they were always like she would grab my hand. Or whatever side of the bed she was on, she would always grab my hand and talk to me. And it it really wasn't until, you know, later when I really got home that I was able to comprehend of how that loving touch, yeah, you know, of having them, it it it, it helped me to let yeah. them like to really kind of let me know, hey, like everything's good. What do you need? You and, know, it's really common knowledge, Corey. It's interesting that you say that because. I really believe, and I think nurses and doctors have affirmed this for me, a lot of mm-hmm. people die in the hospital because nobody's there with them to right. just be there, talk to them, hold their hand. You know, people give up and die easier when nobody visits them, man. Right. That is That's exactly right. That's a yeah. fact. Um, well, tell me this, Corey. Have you ever been more scared in your life, bro? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I would probably say In that more in my, I've never felt more in danger than I was then. Well, not to that back. I've never, I felt like the, the most I've ever felt in danger from my life was the night they had to, the, the EMS had to come and get me from the house to take me to the emergency room. I've never feared for my life more than I did that night. But I've never had an experience this surreal you know i lost my father 10 years ago and 
I even look at that now, and I was like, you know, that was tough, right? To lose my father, you know, you know, in my in my mid twenties, that was that was tough, but to have to go through this and as traumatic as as it as it was as it was mm-hmm. and as it was becoming in my life, I had never experienced that ever up until this. Wow. That's that's understandable too. Yeah. Let's pause right here for a second. I gotta take a quick break, y'all. Stay with us. We're gonna come back and talk to Corey more about his harrowing experience and surviving COVID. So hang out with us for a few more minutes. We'll wrap up after this and gonna continue talking to Mr. Corey Stewart. We'll be right back. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. We're back with Mr. Corey Stewart. And we ended uh, the last segment. He was talking about having never felt more in danger before than the night that he had to get get picked up from his home by the emergency medical team. And I was just asking you, Corey, um, about the mental and emotional and spiritual impact that this whole experience has had on you. And you were just talking about how it made you have a more real, if you will, relationship with your creator. It didn't necessarily drive you to church more, but it really gave you a more, even a more personal, as you say, relationship with, with God. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely so. And I didn't want anybody to take that out of context about, right. you know, going to church. Because, of course, you know, like, I definitely, I, I've always enjoyed going to church. But it's one of those things where I, I look at everything now in a different in a different perspective i have to look at everything in a different perspective from the point of view where it's like um i don't want my testimony to be like oh that's the only thing that it deals it drove you to church no it's bigger right. than that like i right. mean my, my testimony has got to drive somebody to have a more personal relationship with god i don't want my testimony to drive you to go to church i want my testimony to be bigger than that because right. i know that you know, my testimony didn't, my, my, my journey didn't drive me to go to church. It drove me to have a more personal relationship because of, you know, what he brought me through. And, um, you know, that was, that's, was the biggest aspect of it. Um, spiritually now mentally, um, mentally, even right now, um, can't lie mentally. It's tough. It's mm. probably the toughest thing to deal with mentally because of the fact that um, I've never, I've never had any, I've never dealt with anything in my life where I could, I could, I had to, I could use the term I'm a survivor. Mm. You know, to me, the real survivors are the people who have um, beat cancer or, mm-hmm. you know, the men and women who, um, you know, like I remember 9-11 when I was in the ninth grade, you know, those people that risked their lives to go and help others and law enforcement, EMS, and the, those those are people, those are survivors, you know. They right. fought with for different things that, you know, that really, you know, affected their lives. And even though this did affect my life, I've never dealt with anything like that up until now. 
So the mental aspect of it is hard because we're still in the pandemic. Like people are still dying from this and not just that, but it was like, it was, I've always said when I had those conversations with people of how you, you when at a point, there was a point in time when you turned on the news and that's all it was, was COVID this and COVID that and the death rate and the right. death toll, you know? And I thought it was always weak. To me, I've always told people, you know, it, like before I got sick, I always thought it was weird for people to get on national TV and say, you know, the national death count rose 2,000 today. And I'm like, it's 2,000 people that didn't make it from this. And this is what we're right. reporting on. I'm just like, and here I am. You know, I've went through all of this and I'm still here. Right. And so, like, I'm just like, and I was like, I got to a point at one point in time, I just, like, I, I remember I remember telling my mom, I don't, I don't even want to talk about it. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about COVID. I don't want to hear about COVID. I, I'm over it. Right. You know, because I was just like, I was just, I, it was mentally challenging. And because then, like, I started, it was, it was almost as if, like, um, like, beforehand, I didn't know anybody that got it, you know. And then I got sick and, you know, uh, I went through that ordeal and then I come home and then it started hitting closer to home. Right. And then I started meeting people. Uh, I started meeting families. I remember coming home and uh, I remember um, when I left from rehab and my folks, you know, put me in a parade together. And I remember, you know, the news lady coming out to do a story on me because at that time, like, you know, I spent 70 something days in the hospital fighting for my life for this. And, you know, to hear a, a success story from somebody actually going through as, as much as I did and to be sitting was like, it was, I mean, it was baffling. And, you know, I don't know if I, if I had touched on it, but like one of the things about the whole situation uh, that was, you know, mentally exhausting was understanding or having to come to terms with just how close to death I was. Um, you know, here my mom and my, I remember the very first night I, I came home, uh, when I came home from, from rehab, um, I remember the very first night I remember laying in, in the bed at my mother's and I remember um, she was sitting in a chair um, right across the room from me and then my aunt had pulled up a chair and was sitting in the doorway and it was it was was quiet for a moment right. and I remember my mom kind of breaking the silence and and um the one of the things that she told me, we never talked about anything. You know, it's like when I woke up and my condition started turning around, it was all for, as my aunt put it, it's, it's all about coming back to 2354, which is like the number to my mother's home. And like right. that, that's our ultimate goal is to get him home. I said, we're not worried about nothing else, but we're going to get him home. And, um, 
so like that was we never talked about it um but that was the first moment i got home and my mother asked me so what do you want to know at this point in time uh, i didn't have a trait um in my throat but i had had you know started regaining my my voice and i was just like just tell me whatever it is you want to tell me and, I, and you know she told me you know how you know it took you to nashville because of how sick you were and I remember getting to Nashville and she was saying how, you know, the doc for several days, all the doctor could tell me was, you know, we're going to do everything we can, but he's very sick. He's very, very sick. Right. And, um, you know, it was just one of those things where it was just like the, the, the virus was, was literally just doing numbers on my body. Um, you know, it was, there was a point in time when, um, there was a point in time when um, the ECMO machine that I was on, uh, it has to be, they have to change different things about it. And one of the things that comes with it is because the one they have to change out the different things on the machine to, you know, before it to continue to work, the machine is off, which means it's not working. Uh, like I said before, you know, it's a form of life support. So one of the things that the doctor told my mother is that, when we change this out, you know, there's a possibility that his heart may stop. Right. And so they, you know, they, they just go over the precautions just telling, you know, when we do this, because we, we have to do it. And sure enough, they went in to do it. And um, my heart stopped and they wow. had to resuscitate me to bring me back. Right. Um, and the, the crazy part about that was, you know, my heart, you know, um was i was without a heartbeat for more than five minutes and a lot of people i think they realize that you know after like um i want to say they if it's like five if it's if you go without a heartbeat for more than five or six minutes you know they clinically they consider you to be dead um and they brought me back and then there was another occasion that my heart stopped and I believe they said that my heart had stopped for more than six minutes. Um, they were going through, I was going through, a, I think, a procedure. And my heart had stopped again for more than six minutes. And they were able to bring me back then. So there were two occasions that I was in the hospital where, you know, they had to, you know, I wasn't here. Um, and, you know, it was surreal to have people tell you these things. And my mother, you know, telling me about how, um, uh, my mother telling me about, you know, they uh, you had fluid that started to build up around your heart. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they were going to go in to do a procedure to do that. And, you know, we were real worried about, about you know, about the fluid and whatnot and its procedure. And then them coming back and checking on it. And it wasn't as bad as they thought it was. And, um, you know, then they were able just to go in. They put a tube. They put a small... I have a scar on my chest. They were able to put a tube right up under your heart to drain the fluid off of you, and they didn't have to do anything major. Mm-hmm. Um, she said that was, you know, she said that one of the things about it was that, you know, when you first got to Vandy, one of the things was I was basically like I was in a clean room. So I was completely cut off from all contact from the outside world, minus, you know, my nurses and my doctor. So what would happen was they had visiting hours that, that you could have a visitor for up to two hours. And so what would happen 
is during my visiting hours, uh, my mother was was driving two hours to Nashville, you know, five and six days a week, sometimes seven days a week. She was driving to Nashville from the Shoals area just to come and sit outside of my room by, and, and to see me behind a glass window, you know, right. behind a, a big glass door for two hours and go home and repeat her routine, you know, the next day. I think that, like, over the course of me being in the hospital for those, I think I was in Vandy for, I was in Vandy for six weeks, mm -hmm. six and a half weeks I was in Vandy. And I uh, I think they said they, they counted up, my mother missed three days. Wow. Uh, three or four days. And the only reason why she missed those days was because um, Nashville was under a blanket of snow for two days. Wow. Um, but one of the good things they also did while I was in the hospital is they had an iPad system. So the nurses would come in in the afternoon and then once in the, in the evenings at night, like around 7.30 or 8 o'clock, and they would put this iPad on a table in front of me and they would have a Zoom call. So all my family could go to, into this Zoom and actually see me on a video chat. So right. my mother would be sitting, you know, like during the day when she was there and they would Zoom during visitation hours, my mother would sit outside the room and be there with me physically. And then she would have, they would all get on a Zoom. So I'm all, you know, my aunt was there, my mother, my brother, you know, all my cousins and anybody that was able to join, you know, was able to get on the Zoom. And even though, you know, that first four weeks, you know, I was in a coma. I didn't even know any of this was going on. But while I'm laying there, they are, are there praying with me, praying over me and just talking to me. And I had, even though, you know, to this day, I really wish that I could have heard those prayers. Right. And I wish I could have heard those interactions, but I know that it wasn't my place at that point in time to do so. Right. But it was more about afterwards. Right. And, um, you know, but it was surreal for them because, you know, I couldn't. And I remember, you know, after I had woken up, um, you know, I remember that, that night, you know, while I had first come home, my mother was kind of easing me into all these different details and these things that were going on. The one thing that has always stuck out to me, she says, you know, that first night, you know, we got there and I came and visited you. Uh, I came and visited with you. Uh, one of the things, I, you know, I prayed to God was that, you know, let your will be done and just take care of my son. And then, you know, you know, if, you know, as, as we, as you heal his body, just bring a medication off of his, um, you know, the uh, the rack, you know, that holds those bags of medication, right. just bring him down. And she was like, you know, when you went into the hospital, you know, you had an issue out of every single major organ in your body. You had bloating in your stomach. Uh, you started having issues. You had the fluid around your heart, which I'm still dealing with the heart of the heart flutters i had those every day which those that still scares me right. um and then my kidneys stopped working um i've had issue with my liver um but you know she said about you know about at one point in time 
you know, she says that at, in about the middle of this after Christmas, you know, she said right around Christmas and a little bit afterwards, you know, we'd had issues out of every single major organ in your body, including your brain. You know, them, them times when, you know, um, you, um, when your heart stopped, you know, your body's not getting oxygen. You know, your body can go, you know, a lot of people say when, you, when your brain goes more than like three minutes without oxygen, they start worrying about brain damage. Right. She said that was the hardest thing in the world, you know, once, but twice, you know, you had to go through that and, you know, they are are having to now, it's not the concern of, of just, you know, getting him medications to beat the COVID to help his body continue to fight. But now we got to worry about, is he going to have brain activity from, from his heart stopping? And um, she was telling me how um, she remembered them being on a Zoom call one day um, well, she came to visit me and she said the nurse come out and was so excited and she says he responded to us today and she said what wound up happening was um, she said they were in the room and they were talking to me and she says I was across the room and I called his name um, and I called his name and he turned his head and you know she says and we, I went, she said, we went to the other side of the room and they called his name from over there and he turned his head, looking for, turning his head towards where the voice was coming from. And then she said, they got on a Zoom call. And I can't remember if she said it was, she said, somebody called my name. Um, and she said, it was, I guess it was kind of fitting for me to do it on a Zoom call when all my family's there. But she said, somebody said your name. Um, somebody said your name. She said, you know, we've been used to, you know, when, when we get on these calls, we're just looking at you. And, of course, you're in a coma. You don't move. So we've been used to you just, you know, here. And we don't know if you can hear us. We know you can't see us. But you don't move um, or anything. But then she says, we were on there talking. And someone said your name. And your head moved. And she says, they got the shouting in there. And the nurse was, she said, I guess it kind of, it took the, the nurse a minute to kind of figure out what was going on, but it was like he moved. And, you know, they got to shouting in the Zoom and everything. And she said, you know, that was one of the things I feel like them, I knew that for them, it was giving them a peace of mind of knowing God is continuing to work. And my mother was telling me about, you know, like I say, she, was, she had prayed over God to take these medications off of this rack. Right. And she was like, and the way she phrased it, she was like, you know, you had a complication with your heart. God worked that out, and the medication come off your rack. We were sorry, we kept worrying. I was worried about your kidneys because, of course, you you know, you're not running off any fluid. They're having to take fluid out of your body, and everything, um, and whatnot. And we were worried about, and we were worried about that. Your lungs started to improve. Um, and everything we were worrying about how that was gonna was gonna be, and then a couple of days later they got a medication to come off the rack, and then right. you woke up, and then she says, and you woke up, and then a couple you know a few days after you know a week after that, you know she says nurse come in one day and the sheets were wet, and you know I you know I hate to say this in a but it's, it's the detail I peed, 
right. you know, um, and it's like all of a sudden my kidneys just right. one day kidneys just work. woke up. Kidneys my work. kidneys right. are working again. They just all of a sudden they work. And a couple of days later, a medication came off the rack. And wow. now, you know, a week and a half, you know, after I woke up, now I'm coherent to everything going on. I know where I am. I still am quite fuzzy about why I'm here. But then I, when they start talking about it and they start mentioning COVID, that's when I remember, oh, I was sick. So that's right. how I got here. But, um, you know, it was just surreal for all of that. And then um, I remember um, I remember the first time I kind of, I felt, um, I felt lonely. Mm. because I, I the only thing I was used to was the nurses coming in, the doctors coming in. I remember the, the um I was so tired of being by myself. And I remember like for the first time like it hurt from my for me to see my mom and I couldn't talk to her. Mm. And it wasn't just physically I I remember I could I would move my head and I would see my mom at, at the door. And I remember she would have this big smile. And anybody knows knows my mother knows she has this she has a beautiful smile. Mm. And she had the biggest smile on her face. And she would wave real hard at me to make sure that I knew that she was there. And the only thing that I could do, I would turn my head and I would I had enough strength and I would raise my hand, my fingers up, and I would just move them, you know. And she would see that, and so she knew I was waving at her. Right. And they would bring in the 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 tab my tablet, and I would get on a Zoom call, and I could see everybody, and they could see me, and I can hear them. I can't talk, but I can move my head. They can see me blink, so they know I'm alive. And right. it was beautiful just to be there, just to have them. But I was lonely at the same time because, you know, I remember one. I remember one night. I was just um, not physically, but mentally, I was tired. Mm. And I just, I remember laying there and I remember, um, the, you know, the, I, there was always a nurse that was always in the room. There was nurses that I can remember a time from like, maybe I woke up in, in the middle of the night or something like that, but there was always a nurse that was in like every, you know, 10 or 15 minutes or so. I always had a nurse that was around. I remember waking up and um, I was just lonely and I remember I just cried and of course yeah. I, I couldn't I couldn't make any noise but I just had tears coming out of my eyes and I remember the nurse coming over and um, I couldn't express any emotion to tell her why I was or what I was feeling right. but she would look me in my eye and she held my hand and she told me, you're, you're going to be fine. She says, if you need anything, you let me know what you need, but you're going to be fine. We're going to get you out of here. And she said, you are doing so good. You know, she says, there are a lot of patients that are in here. And, you know, she said, but you make our day the way that you improve. Like every day is something new. And she uh-huh. says, you're, we're going to get you out of here. Because I know you miss your family. And one of my keepsakes is my family had made me a big poster with everybody on it. It was my mom 
and my aunt, and my brother, and my um my nieces, and um you know my fiance's on it, and you know everybody's it was on it, and the one thing on it that I always gravitated to was a picture of my son, and I was like, that's my boy right there, and I was like, and I know everybody would come in, the doctors would come in. I was like, you have a beautiful family. And I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait for somebody to, to say, a uh, doctor come in that, you know, that they would have medical students that would come in with them too. And I remember um, one of the doctors would come in and I couldn't wait for a doctor to say, do you have any kids? And I, again, I couldn't talk. I had to trach in my throat. And I would shake my head and I would, I would shake my head proud tell them yeah and they would go over and they would point is, is is it is it her and i would shake my head nope and they was like was it this little baby right here pointing at my other niece i was like no that's not it i was like oh it's got to be this little baby boy and i would shake my head proud that's my boy and right. it was the little things like that that i was like okay god is is working like right. god is, is is really working a number even though I'm still kind of oblivious to a lot of reason of why I'm here, right? But I know I'm here for some reason. But then you know, um, they finally I I started getting strength back. I was able to start moving the bed a little bit, um, and everything. And um, you know, they were just like, you know, we're now. You know, uh, I remember the day uh, they kept. You know, at one point during the week. They were coming in and then they stuck that thing up my nose to go do a COVID test. And they would, he, the nurse would come in, swab, get my nose and take it and would go off. And I ain't thinking anything about it. And then, you know, 20, 48 hours later, she'd come back again and she'd do it again. And she would go off and nobody would say anything. And then the third time, the doctor came in and swabbed it. And, um, and then I remember the comment she made. She was like, I hope this is the last time. And I'm thinking, I do too, but I don't know why. And then she went, and then the next day she come in, she says, Mr. Stewart, your body is free, uh, is clear of the COVID. We're going to move you to a clean unit. Wow. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, this is great. Right. But I didn't really understand what it means. I got a new room. I got a better room. I got a bigger TV. But then the beautiful thing was now my mom can come into the room with me. Right. I'm no longer a risk to her health now. Right. And so I remember now I'm just like, this makes things a little bit easier now that she can come into the room. But, you know, at that point now, she was like, we got you in the clean unit. Now we got to prepare to get you home. She and said, I would you know, say well, wrong. from my own personal experience, I love nurses. They are the heartbeat of recovery and healthcare. By far, the nursing nursing yes. profession. Man, I, I can't say thank you enough to them. Thank you, nurses all over the world for the jobs that you do. Those of you who are committed to it and your heart is in it, you really do a great service to those who are suffering, who have suffered. We just thank you for that. Amen, um, yes. Corey, what were you what would you leave with people tonight, man? Just what would you wrap up and, and just leave 
anybody who may be down or trying to get better from something or just discouraged with their health or any kind of circumstance, what would you leave them with tonight? Take it to God. Take anything that you're going through, take it to God. It don't matter how big it may be. Take any doubt, any burden, any worry that you have. Take it to God. God will always make a way. You just got to take it to him and trust. Trust your process and take it to God. Because the power of prayer and what it did Mm-hmm. For me and what it did for my family during my time and this that I went through with COVID is a testimony that God is a healer. God will make a way when it seems like the road is leading to nothing. God will make a way. God will make a way. Just Man. thank to God and trust your faith. That's beautiful and Corey, I want to say one. You inspire me. I feel you inspired the audience tonight. I thank you for taking the time out and, and for you being so transparent and willing to talk to us about this, man. And welcome back anytime, man. You'd like to come and speak to us. Oh, I appreciate it. You know, anytime you like to have me, we can have conversations about anything. I would definitely love to come and talk to your audience. I appreciate you having me. And I hope, you know, I've left something with somebody to be inspired and you know, you guys continue to be safe. And again, just thank you for the opportunity. Okay. Do you mind, Corey? I can, uh, you mind if I link uh, your LinkedIn profile and things like that? On yeah, that's fine. You can, um, yeah, that's fine on, on here or Facebook, you okay. know, anything. You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, if I'm on Facebook, Corey Deshaun Stewart, I'm, you know, I'm more than glad to, you know, to talk to anybody. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll put those links in the show notes, man. And, As I said, thanks again, and it's peace and love to you. And everyone, breathe deep and love hard. Have a good evening.